0: Christ's disciples lift their eyes. Alive, He stands, their friend and King. Cry.
1: Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church. We're glad that you're with us this morning, having just a tiny bit of audio difficulties. Uh, so uh, apologize for that and hang with us. I'm glad that you're here on this Easter Sunday. And uh, today, maybe more than any other day that we've had services so far, I miss being with those of you who are members and friends of St. James. But I'm glad we can be together uh, virtually. Uh, and even more importantly, I'm glad that we are together in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. One quick announcement before we begin worship, and that is Bible studies. We're not going to have Bible study today, but we did last Sunday, and we're going to uh, in the upcoming Sundays. And so if you'd like to participate in this uh, group Bible study on Zoom, uh, please send me your email address, and um, I'll sign you up and send you out an invitation next Sunday. We're also thinking about doing uh, some midweek Bible studies for anybody who would be interested in that as well. So if you, send out, if, you, if you send me your email address for the Sunday Bible study, I'll just go ahead and send you any invitations for the midweek Bible study as well. And now if you participated last week, you don't need to send me your address again. But if you didn't and you'd like to uh, join that group, uh, please send me your address and I'll get you signed up. It's uh, fun and we all get to see each other's faces and we can all talk to each other. And so it'll be a good time uh, to spend around God's word. Uh, one more announcement. Next week on Sunday mornings for the sermon, uh, we'll be studying for the next few months Romans 5 through 8, which is just a fantastic, chock full text of Scripture. Uh, there's so many good things in there uh, about salvation and sanctification and future glorification. And I please, I, I think it would be really, really uh, fun and helpful if you joined us for that study through Romans 5 through 8 beginning next Sunday. Okay, let's begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sins to God our Father. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways in wasting your gifts, and forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. The psalm reading this morning is Psalm 16, and just a quick note, uh, there's, uh, the, the, the narrator shifts a couple of times. It starts off with the psalmist speaking to God, and then he shifts his direction. He starts speaking to us. And then at the end, he goes back to speaking to God again. So pay attention to the narration shifts where the narrator uh, is praying and then giving us instruction. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The Old Testament reading is classic new creation, new covenant text from Jeremiah 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. The epistle reading is from Colossians 1, and it is by far one of my favorite Easter texts. I'm so glad when this comes up every three years. Colossians 3, sorry, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And the Gospel reading is Matthew 28, and this is just the story from Matthew of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And now, let's sing together uh, the Easter hymn, Jesus Christ is Risen Today. This is, Easter Sunday is the day that separates Christianity from every other philosophy and religion in the whole world. Every philosophy and every religion ends in death. It's inevitable. Every founder, every wise person. Our founder rose from the dead. This is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, like Paul says, to paraphrase something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, there's really no point in doing this. I guess we could all agree to get together and give each other life advice and maybe somebody who's well-spoken amongst us could stand up and deliver inspiring lectures and things like that. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let's eat and drink and be merry because none of this matters. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, this changes everything. And this is actually what I want to talk about this morning from Colossians 3, is that if Jesus rose from the dead, The entire cosmos has changed. This is not just a story that's a happy ending, like you're watching your favorite sports team play, and it looks like they're going to lose, and then they come back and they win the championship, and we're all happy. There is an element of that, of course. It's exciting when when you're reading the Gospels and you read about Jesus rising from the dead. But it's not just a good ending to a great story. It's actually got cosmic significance. It changes reality fundamentally. Easter does. And so let's talk about that this morning from Colossians 3. And I'm going to read it to you one more time. It's just four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What I'd like you to notice this morning is three separate verb tenses in this reading. There's past past tense verbs in here, there's present tense verbs in here, and there's future tense verbs in here. So let's look at the past tense verbs first. In verse one, you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Verse three, for you have died. You've been raised with Christ and you have died. In the past, roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth was executed on a cross and then rose from the dead. And there's a sense for Paul and in the rest of Scripture that when that happened, it happened with us too. In fact, Paul uses the word, check out this word with, if then you have been raised with Christ. In verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Paul uses language about with Christ or in Christ, in Colossians he really likes with Christ. He's talking about this central theological fact of our believers' union with Christ. Paul talks about it in Romans 6. He talks about it in Galatians 3. He talks about it here in Colossians 2 and 3. When Jesus died on the cross, we were with him. Let me read a few verses to you from just before this section in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We have been buried with him in baptism. Paul almost always connects union with Christ to baptism. We've been buried with him in baptism In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus rose from the tomb, you and I rose with him. To be baptized into Jesus means to be united to Jesus in such a way that you've already died long ago. Why is this important? Or a better question. How does this help me to be united to Jesus into his, in his death? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever in your life dreaded something so bad and you just wished it were over with? You knew you had to go through it and you just wished it were over with. I feel like this about the dentist. I feel like this about any sort of meeting that I have to have with somebody uh, who I know is really upset with me. I, I don't like, I'm a very, very much a, a people pleaser. And I always dread these meetings. I always think, like, I just wish it was over. I wish that I could, like, wake up tomorrow and it would be gone. It would be past. I know I have to do it, but I wish I was through it already. What if I told you that the thing that you and I fear the most, death, is already over? And that what Jesus said in John chapter 11, he who lives and believes will never die, that this is what he means. You've already gone through death. The thing that you fear about death, the separation from your loved ones, the finality of it, the unknownness of it, what is it like to die, and what's it going to be like on the other side of death? All of these fears, they're gone. They've had the sting taken out of them, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You have already gone through death. We have to balance this, of course, with Ash Wednesday truths that there is a physical death waiting for us that we have to keep in mind and we have to prepare for. This is what we did throughout Lent. But the sting of it, the power of it, the fear of it, the finality of it, it's all been taken. You've already gone through it already. You don't have to go through that death anymore because in Christ, when Jesus died, he experienced all that and we did it with him. There's a past reality. The past reality of our death in our resurrection with Jesus. You have been, you died with Christ, you have been raised with Christ. In some sense, for those of you who are believers, your resurrection in Jesus has already taken place. You're already living in the new creation. Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians 3 when he says, if anybody's in Christ, if anybody's with Christ, they are already new creation. You've already died. You've already been raised from the dead. Even now, you and I who are living in this age, this old age, are living in the new age because of what happened in the past, because of what Jesus did on Good Friday that 2,000 years ago and what he did this morning 2,000 years ago. There's also present tense. There's also, let me, let's, let's go to future tense first. There's also a future tense here. Look in verse four. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a future appearance for us in glory. Paul likes to use uh, language about Jesus coming back someday. Sometimes the Bible talks about the new creation in terms of Jesus coming back here again to this earth. Sometimes Paul will use language of revealing or appearing. When Christ appears, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The sense behind this uh, this is that Christ is already here. When Christ said, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age, at the end of Matthew, he means, I'm not abandoning you. I am here on earth now, but I'm invisible to those who can't see me. However, there's coming a day in the future when Christ will appear, when Christ will be revealed, and when that happens, those of us who are in Christ will be revealed with him as well. This is what I meant when I said earlier that there's cosmic significance to Easter, it's not just a good story about a good ending for Jesus. It's a good story about a good ending for those of us, me and you, who are in Christ. We will appear with him someday. Let me put it this way. What if, go back to this, this team, this uh, baseball team or football team or basketball team or hockey team that you're rooting for. What if by rooting for this team, by making this team your life, you got posters of this team up in your room, you DVR all of their games so that you can rewatch them later, you think about them. You talk about them. What if by rooting for this team when they won the championship, it's a guarantee that you too have won the championship and will win the big championship someday? What if you? Another example. What if you watch a movie about somebody getting rich? Let's say to pick a crass, stupid movie. Let's say you watch Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. You just love this movie. You memorize all the one-liners and you think about it. What if by watching that movie? by thinking about that movie, you are guaranteed to someday get rich too. Just by making that movie your movie. What if, another movie, Like, what if you watch a superhero movie? What if you're a big fan of like Superman movies? And by watching the Superman movies and just loving them and thinking about them, it's guaranteed that someday you'll be able to fly. Will there be some crazy power in those stories? Now, we all know that those stories are good stories. The Blues win the championship. Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd get rich. Superman saves the day. It's a good time, right? You watch the story, you have a laugh, smile on your face, and you go on your way. What makes Easter different is that that story embodies us. It swallows us up. Look what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your... I'm sorry, uh, go back up to... Um, Verse three, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Our life, we are with Jesus in such a way that our life is inside of Him. It's hidden in Him so that when He wins the championship, when He gets rich, when He saves the day, we appear someday in the future with Him. We will be rich. We will win the championship. We will be a part of that day saving too. That's our future destiny. The resurrection of Jesus is our identity. When he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, that's us too. But the future resurrection of Jesus, when he appears and raises our bodies from the dead, that's our destiny. Now that brings us, the past and the future bring us to the present tense. What about now? What do we do now? Look at verse 1. Go back to verse 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. It's a present tense, seek. It's a present imperative. It's a command, but it's telling you what to do right now. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Another one, another present imperative in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Right now in the present, we we know what our past is. We know what our identity is. We know what our future destiny is. And what that means is that right now, we are liberated to set our minds on Jesus, to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Can I take just a couple minutes and do a quick excursus to explain what Paul means by the things above and the things on the earth? Because what he doesn't mean is by things above, he doesn't mean angels and playing the harp and thinking glorious thoughts about the pie in the sky. And on earth, the things on earth, he doesn't mean that you're not allowed to think about hockey or your kids or taking care of your lawn, or tasty food. What he means by things on the earth is this, and there's actually two examples of this, one right before our text and one right after our text. In Colossians 2, he says he says this, if with Christ you, again, with Christ language, right? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and then he goes on to explain that we, you and I, if we are in Christ, we're not bound by the legalistically religious rules, which seem to make a certain sort of sense. they seem. He goes on to say they, they, they seem to have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, but they really have no power to do that. Rules like don't taste, don't touch. Rules like you can't go to this place, or you can't be with this person, or you have to act a certain way. I'm not talking about stuff that's in the Bible. I'm talking about man-made rules that we set up to say, oh, we are the good ones. Those are the things of the earth, even if they're religious, even if they're incredibly Lutheran. Those man-made rules have no power to actually bring about new creation. They're the things of this earth. On the other hand, though, in Colossians 3, right after our text, the things of the earth are the opposite extreme. It's licentiousness. It's just doing whatever your flesh wants. Put to death, he says, this is verse 5, the, the verse right after our text. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, malice, slander, anger, obscene talk. Uh, uh, he, goes on to, he goes on to discuss mistreating people close to you, uh, hatred, things like that. These are the things the earth, following the desires of your flesh. These are the things of the earth. See what the things of the earth are for Paul? On one hand, it's these rules, these legalistic rules, which look like they have power, but they don't. On the other hand, it's the way of the flesh, which looks like it has freedom, but it really isn't. Instead, what he offers us is the things above, specifically Christ. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is. Because Christ is the true power, not the fake power of, of, of religious legalism. And Christ is true freedom, not the fake freedom of just doing whatever you feel like doing. It's true new creation, power and freedom mixed perfectly in God for us. We get to experience and participate in, us, in it. That's your present. Set your mind on that. By setting your mind on something, by focusing on something... You make it your identity. You know this is true. If like making money is your thing, you're thinking about making money all the time. If your family is your thing, you're thinking about your family and you're doing stuff with your family all the time. If food is your thing, you're thinking about food all the time. You put your mind on the thing that you find your identity in. And by setting your mind on it, you reinforce that as your identity. So much so that you can't get out of it. It confirms you. Your, your thought patterns confirm you in your identity. My son and I right now are reading uh, Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And King Arthur decides in that story to go out amongst the peasants and the populace to find out how they live. But in order to do it in an honest and objective way, he decides to do it as a peasant. And the main character in the book, a guy named Hank, is trying to teach him. And what he realizes is you can dress him up perfectly. Like a peasant. You can put the dirty clothes on the king. And you can like spread mud and dirt on him and you can mess up his hair and you can let his fingernails and his toenails grow so that he looks kind of poverty stricken and run down. But when he walks around with the peasant, he cannot escape his identity. They practice and they practice. And he just can never get the slumped shoulders. He can never get the forlorn Look the despair in the eyes. He can never get that when somebody of nobility comes by, he has to put his head down and shuffle to show that he's debased beside them. Why? Because that's his identity. His identity is king. He knows who he is. He remembers. He's known since he was a kid that he was was called to be king. In his mind, he was ordained by God to be king. He knows that his future is king. He's going to go back to be king. And so in the present... He can't do anything else besides be king. That's what Paul is saying here. If your identity is the resurrection of Jesus, and your destiny is the resurrection of Jesus, then the only thing that you and I can do now is be the resurrection of Jesus. We can be the new creation now in this age. We can live a life of love and justice and peace, just like it's the new creation, but we can do it now. Look, if you, know where you're going, if you know where you've been and you know where you're going, getting there is just natural. We all know people who have struggled with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, and one of the early signs of struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's is getting lost. You start off at your house, and you're going to go to the store. But you start driving, and then you forget where your house is, and you forget where the store is. Frequently, fam- family members will be panicked because they won't be able to track them down. It's frequently one of the first signs of dementia. Well, there's a sort of a spiritual dementia that you and I, as Christians, those of you who are Christians, that you and I are guilty of, and that is forgetting where we came from, forgetting where we're going. It's one of the easiest ways for the world to call us out on our hypocrisy. We talk like we're resurrection people, and we talk like our destiny is resurrection, but we live like it's the old age. We live as though the truth and justice and humility and self-sacrifice weren't real. But that dishonesty, and greed, and bitterness, and vendettas, that was the way the world worked. Instead, we should live the resurrection life now. And T. Wright gives this example. The resurrection of Jesus, both the past resurrection of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, and the future resurrection of Jesus when he raises our bodies from the grave, functions for Christians like a bicycle. There's two wheels. The back wheel is the past resurrection of Jesus on that first Easter. It holds up our weight and supports us. It's the thing that we balance on. It's the thing that gives us meaning. It's our identity. The front wheel, though, the future resurrection, when Jesus returns and sets up the new creation, and because of the past resurrection, has the power to finally, on that last resurrection, raise us from the dead. That functions like the front wheel. It gives us direction. It gives us purpose. It shows us where to go. This is what Easter means. Not just that Jesus rose from the dead, although that's the most important, primary, powerful fact. It means that you and I have been given the purpose, the identity, and the power to live the resurrection life of Jesus now. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would uh, make this resurrection, the resurrection of your son Jesus, first and foremost in front of our minds, fill us up with the power of it, with the truth of it, make it real in our hearts and lives, not, not just so that we believe it, not just so that we rejoice in it, but that it becomes our identity, it becomes us, it becomes who we are. We'll give you the honor and glory for this as you work this out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
0: Here oh is. i <laughs>